Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a girlfriend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Support for today's show comes from Prep Dish, a healthy subscription-based meal planning service. Here's what you need to know, guys. There is no more thinking about your meals. You let Prep Dish do the planning for you. When you sign up with Prep Dish, you're going to receive an email from Allison, and it's going to include a grocery list. It's going to give you prep ahead instructions, and then all your meals are going to be ready for the week. No guesswork needed. You go buy your groceries, you come home and you prep it, and you have all your meals ready. Right now, Allison, the founder of Prep Dish, is offering you $4 for a month-long trial. That's right. You're going to get to try it out for only a dollar per week. Go to prepdish.com slash happy hour to get your first month of prep dish for only $4. Friends, you are listening to episode number 197. And my guest is Amina Brown Owen. Amina released a new book last fall, and we dig into some of the things that she talked about in this book. Super vulnerable things, grief, infertility, ministry life, and so much more. Amina really has the coolest job ever. I'm serious. After you listen, you're going to believe me. So of course I had to ask her, hey, Amina, what do you actually put on a job description form? And when she started explaining to me how she gets a poem from her head to the place where she's performing it in front of an audience, I'll just leave it at this. I could not have that job. She's super creative, super brilliant, and you're going to love getting to know her here. I love this girl and her ministry. You're going to love it. You're going to head straight to Amazon and get her books. And at the end, she's going to give us some hard, hard things to think about in ministry world. If you're traveling around the world to do ministry, you're going to want to listen to Amina. You guys, it's summertime. You know that. It's June. (laughs) This means that if you're like me, sometimes you get behind on your podcast listening because my days look different now. I've got kids with me all the time. But you know what, guys? Summer is also the time when people are looking for shows to discover as they travel over the summer. So would you do me a favor? Would you share the show with your friends? However you want to do that, go ahead. Find a show you love from the happy hour. Maybe screenshot it. Share it on your Instagram stories. Tell your friends why you love it. Post a photo on your social media, whatever you need to do. I would really, really, really appreciate it. Or just listen to a show you love. Text some girlfriends. Tell them you think that they're going to like this one. The possibilities are endless, you guys. Thanks for sharing. It really, really does mean the world to me. All right, you guys, here is my conversation with Amina. Hey, Amina, welcome to the happy hour. I am so happy to be on the happy hour. (laughs) I'm doing a body roll, but you can't see it. Oh my gosh, body roll. This is what you tried to show me last time we were together. And I, I haven't practiced. I will tell you that. <laughs> I know you There's, have it inside. I know you can do it deep within, Jamie. Let me tell you, when I was in college and I um, was not walking with the Lord, um, I used to do a lot of things that I might not partake in today. And I think that I would have been at a club, nothing wrong with the club, but what I was doing there would have been wrong. Uh, and I think I would have tried the body roll and I would have thought I had it down, but deep, <laughs> but people watching me, they would have known, they would have known she doesn't have it down and she thinks she has it down. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and say, I don't have the body roll down, Amina. We'll practice next time I see you. Don't worry. Okay. Okay. Um, girl, we, I've been wanting to have you on the show forever. And so it is super, super, super exciting that you're here with us today. I have so much I want to talk with you about because I want my people to know how amazing you are. And I want to, I want to jump right in. Are you ready? 
Yeah, let's go. Okay. So I want to know, first of all, let, let's just tell everybody, you might have the coolest job. What do you put on a job form when you feel it says <laughs> occupation? What do you put? I normally, to keep it simple, just put poet, which has brought up various conversations in the doctor's office. I was going to say, yes. When we bought our house and we're, you know, you're sitting at the closing table with all the attorneys and whoever, and I couldn't tell if they were like, oh, you're the first poet that we've ever had at the closing table to buy a home. If that was like, yay, we're excited. Or if they were like, we don't know how you're going to pay for this. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So where do you get money is what they're thinking. Yeah, they like, like, how do you do this? Like, so you're a poet and your husband's a DJ. Who has a job though? Like we're trying to find out who has <laughs> right. a real job. Now tell me this, are both your parents still alive? Yes, both my parents are still alive. Okay, how are they with... Do they know how you make a living? Do they get it? Because I think that can be sometimes in our generation when we're doing these random things like my job is a podcaster. Some people are like, well, how do you make a living? You know? And so do your parents get it or do they still wonder how you get money? My mom is totally here for it because she's just been a big supporter of me becoming a writer. Even when I was a little girl, like when I was little, my mom took me into the library this is so old school now, but when you had to go to the library to get copyright forms before those forms were on the internet, right? Like she took me there to copyright my poems as a child. So my mom has always been here for this. She's so excited, so proud. My dad is proud too, but I don't know all the way if my dad is like, okay, so you go into these places and what? You're going to go there and perform? <laughs> like, I, I still don't. So when he sees my husband and I, he's just always like, love y'all, proud of y'all. But in the back of his mind, he might be like, do y'all eat food? Because I don't know. <laughs> How are you making money is what he's thinking. Like, what's happening here? Is this legal? Completely. Oh my gosh, that is hilarious. Now, is your husband a pastor or was he a pastor? Did I read that somewhere? My husband was a youth pastor when we first okay. got married. He had been in youth ministry for probably eight years or so, eight, nine years before we got married. And uh, the first year of our marriage, he was a youth pastor. So we juggled the road traveling and doing events and all these different places and local church ministry, which was really crazy and also good and grounding for us. But we've both been full-time artists almost six years now. That's awesome. Well, I love what you guys do. And you just released a book back in November uh, called How to Fix a Broken Record. Thoughts on vinyl records, awkward relationships, and learning to be myself. Uh, Was this a hard book for you to write? In parts, but other parts of it were so fun. (laughs) So there were some parts that were very vulnerable to write. And it's always hard to write the things that are so, you know, close to your, your life, life, your vulnerable spots. Those were the hardest things to write. So I definitely wrote some chapters and just cried my eyes out and sat at my laptop and wrote, but there were so many things that I wrote that I laughed and laughed when I was writing them. So it was hard to write, um, in the sense that books are always hard, but I actually enjoyed writing that book because ironically, I was actually my most authentic self in Mm. in my work that I've ever been in that book. Well, isn't that just like when you said like some of them you laughed and laughed and some of them cried your eyes out? Isn't that life? I mean, like it feels like this is a book of life. Yes. Yes. And I was hoping to try to capture that because I think, you know, in life we have these moments that just hit us in the gut and 
just feel like they're going to take our total breath away. And we have these moments where we experience such joy and such elation. You almost feel like you're, you're floating above everything else. And, and moments we get annoyed with people. (laughs) Like I wanted to Mm -hmm. capture like all those things that I could in this book. And I think that made it more enjoyable to write. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So let's talk about a vulnerable moment in the book. Can we go there? Yeah, let's go. You wrote it in a book. So we're going to go there. Chapter seven is called ministry of disappointment. And the very first sentence just kind of took my breath away. The very first sentence, it just said, you just let you started. You didn't drag us along. You just said, I thought I'd be pregnant by now. Mm-hmm. So tell me about this in your life. Um, I thought, I mean, you wrote about it, but let's talk about it because I think that as women, we could fill that in with anything. Like I thought this, or I thought I'd be here. Or, I thought whatever, fill in the blank. Tell me about that journey for you. Yeah, that chapter is totally about what happens when you are, you're starting to live a life that you didn't expect would be the life you'd live right now. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have given me feedback that if you know their story involves challenges with fertility, they resonate with it. But other people who are like, that's not even my story and I still resonate with this. And I was trying to actually uh, write a section that was going to be all about God. There's originally going to be a section of this book that was going to be all about my broken records that had to do with God. And I was struggling to figure out how to write that. And so I was actually in, in our bedroom with my husband doing the old school web from elementary school where you like write a word, circle it, draw oh, yeah. a line to other circle. You know, we were like doing That's that. That's a great practice. Yes. Uh-huh. And I was like, God, circle, draws line. What are my broken records with God? Don't like to surrender to God. Don't like to be not in control and have to give control to God circles, you know, writing all these things. And there was something about he and I talking through that. And the first sentence of that chapter came to me when we were doing that sort of brainstorm. And I was really like, (gasps) because I had no intentions of writing about that. That's been a very, very personal and private journey that we've been walking through for years. But I knew that that line had come to me because I needed to write about it. And so Mm -hmm. I wanted to say it because I do think uh, that's something that a lot of people um, and women in particular go through and it becomes this silent, isolated, lonely place Um, especially if you're in a phase of life, anytime you're in a phase of life where you're starting to watch all your other people achieve that. And I'm, you know, using that word purposefully, even though that's not actually how it works, right? (laughs) I know, I know. You know, marriage or having children are not achievements, but that's how it can feel that you, you're single and you look around and most or not, if not all of your friends have gotten married that Mm -hmm. isolated feeling you start to feel like I'm alone or I'm being left behind. And Mm -hmm. I think that's definitely um, an experience that I've had and and other women have told me they have too. And you look around and you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm married. And almost all of our friends have kids and brings up all these identity questions. Does that make me less of a woman? Does that make me less of a person? Um, Does that mean I don't have anything to bring to the conversation when everybody starts talking about their kids' stories and things like that. So a lot of it for me has been, uh, first of all, going back to therapy and um, (laughs) celebrates therapy. There you Uh, go. And walking through the healing of making sure that I am, number one, finding my identity uh, in my relationship with God first and foremost, and walking in community with people that can hold space for where I am, because not everyone can. 
And I had to come to understand that too. You know, sometimes when other people go into a different phase of life from you, they can't always hold space for the fact that you are where you are and you may not be where they are ever or for a long time. And some people can't hold space for that. What do you mean when you say that? Like your friendships have changed because they've moved on? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that has happened. That's hard. That's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And thank God for the people that, you know, obviously our family members and and so many of my close friends that can hold space for that, that can be in the place where they are, the season where they are, even if it's really different from yours, but can also hold space for where you are. And I think going through a long season of disappointment has taught me how to better walk through life with people Mm. and how to continue walking through life with people, even if we're not in the same phase of life. I think we, you know, we sort of had that experience, some of us in high school and in our 20s, where you had this group collective experience, you know, where you were like, I had my group of friends that we Mm -hmm. did these things in high school and all these developmental things were happening to you all at the same time. And then sometimes you do arrive to a point in life where you realize, oh, maybe now we're all in our thirties, but some of us are married and some of us aren't. And should the people who are not in the same phase I am, should I look at them like, oh, well, they don't understand my life. I shouldn't hang out with them you know, should I be able to hold space for that? And sometimes you can't, sometimes you're in a season of life where you're like, I just, some of my friends that have little ones, they got two little kids within the same, you know, three to five years age range. That's all they can do right now. They (laughs) can't even hold their head up. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I got to parent my babies. And for me, out of love for them, I can understand that, you know, but I do have uh, plenty of mama friends who can hold space for, some of the hard parts of the journey I'm on. And they know that I am equally excited about the journey they're on and want to walk with them through that. So it is super tough. It undoes uh, so many things about what you think about yourself, what you think about God, what you think about the will of God. It can undo some things in your close relationships. But I'm finding now in the place where I am in my soul about things is it can also help you to appreciate where you are That's kind of where I am Mm -hmm. right now, Jamie, that I'm like, you know, it's not that things cease to be disappointing. It's not that I don't still have these prayers out there with God that I hope God answers, but I've got this big life in front of me and I would be remiss not to live it. Mm. And when I hear you talking about that, I think, man, ever, like I said earlier, we could all relate to that in some aspect, whether it's children or marriage or a job or, or our health or whatever it might be location where we live. Um, and you, you sound to me like you're in a good spot. You know, you wrote about it and you're talking about it, but I know that it's probably taken a while for you to get there. What are some of the things that you would say, this has helped me get not where I'm like, Oh, I don't want this anymore because you're right. I don't think that that desire isn't gone. You still have these prayers that you're asking God for. What are some of the things that have helped you get to where you are today? I think the biggest one is sitting in the grief. Mm. I had to learn that the hard way because I'm not a person who does sad very well, but learning to sit in the grief, that, that grief will revisit you at some of the most inopportune times. And we experience grief when we experience loss. You know, if we've lost a loved one, we also can experience grief when we grieve that there are certain things we're looking at our life. We realize, oh, I might not ever have that. Mm-hmm. Or I may come to a point where I know for sure 
I'm never going to have that. And I think it's important to properly grieve those things. And I had to, I had to learn that the hard way because I ran from it for a long time because I did not want to experience the depths of it. But in this strange way for me, in order for me to experience joy most fully, I had to also experience the grief. And when the grief comes up, instead of fighting the grief, invite it in, sit with it, heal there, deal with those feelings, walk through them, not rush yourself, and learn some safe spaces where you can process that. Obviously, I believe therapy is a great one. And having people in your life that know how to lament Mm. and allowing them to lament with you, I think that's really important that you walk through the grief until you find yourself. Not so much on the other side all the way, Jamie, because I think grief is this process that in many healthy ways is going to revisit us so that we can experience the grief and the joy too, but get to where you arrive at. Okay. I have accepted, I have come to peace with, I have surrendered this sort of walking through that process. If that makes sense. It it does make sense. And, and my question to you is, do you think sometimes we, like you said, grief can be a long process and a lifelong process for sure. For some people, would you say that sometimes you're having to repeat that maybe to God, maybe to your husband, maybe to yourself over, okay, I'm sitting here and I'm accepting this. Like that you don't just say that once. Am I right? No, that's totally right. And I think where I was getting it wrong is I was thinking like, oh, that's a one-time deal. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, when I have, when I first have the thought that I'm experiencing this loss, whether it's loss of a friendship or loss of some expectations you had about your life that weren't met or loss of a loved one, you know, loss in so many ways. I just thought I'll have a big cry and then I'll, I'll be fine after that. And realizing Mm -hmm. like there are going to be times you'll, you know, walk in a grocery store and see a certain thing on the aisle and it will bring up the grief with you. And you didn't know it was going to come up right there, but it did. And instead of me stuffing it down or shaming myself because I'm still feeling grief about that, you know, whatever that is, just letting it come up, Mm -hmm. honoring the grief, I think, you know? Yeah. Yesterday I had a conversation with one of our mutual friends, Jenny, and I was telling her about something that was hard for me right now. And she said this, I want you to know that your emotions are valued and that they're real because I was feeling like, why am I still feeling this? Come on, Jamie, get yourself together. And she said, they're real. So it's okay. Let's be with them for a minute. And that's what you're talking about. I think it's also, I mean, on the flip side, let's talk about this for a second. Cause when I'm hearing you say this, I'm thinking about seasons of my life that maybe the grief can come back up in an instant, you know, and I would think, man, I thought I dealt with that, but here it is again. But the flip side of that is having friendships and relationships that are okay with it coming up again. Am I right? So true. I've learned what a blessing it is to have people in your life that can hold, I keep using that term hold space because that's what it feels like to me. It's like somebody Mm -hmm. that's like, Mm -hmm. they're, they're here for you they've got their hands open, arms open. Also, like, I know that grief's going to come back up and let's talk about it. And I'm learning now, Jamie, when I honor the grief, when it comes up and sometimes have a little cry sometimes or a medium cry Uh over a period of time versus holding it in, holding it in, holding it in, and then having a big cry that shuts me down sometimes for a day or two can't hardly function because 
I didn't have space with some people I'm in relationship with. So I think that's so important. And I'm learning better ways to also walk through things with people, which is really sometimes the best thing is just to be here with them, be present for them. Even if I don't have, I don't have advice or anything to fix it as much as so many people I know go through so many hard things. I wish I could fix it. I wish I could swoop in and take all of that away, but I can't do that. But I can say, I'm just here with you, whatever you Mm. need while you are processing through this. If you need me to be quiet, if you need me to just text and check in on you, if you need me to come to your house and clean up or make you food, I'm just here. And that's so important. That is so good. And I think I have learned that along the ways too, is walking through things with friends um, and hearing what they need. And oh, I, I, this is such a, a valuable conversation because anyone listening can relate, even if it's not letting go of the, the dream of children right now in your world. I think you mentioned this to me that you are letting go of just these expectations of where you thought you'd be right now. Yeah, totally. And I, this, I'm, I, first of all, I am an achiever type personality. So I, I mm-hmm. always am like, I'm sitting here in the present, but I'm most typically like already like I'm three years down the line in my life. I'm right. already like, okay, yeah. so three years from now, I need to make, I, I want my uh-huh. life to be this three years from now. So today I'm going to do these things, which, you know, is not inherently bad, but the problem For with sure. that is that I'm always looking ahead so much and building these, you know, ideas, expectations for what I'm thinking that's going to be like. And sometimes I finally get to whatever year that was, you know, like for me, I was like, oh, by the time I'm 30, I'll be married. Certainly. I thought really by the time Mm -hmm. I'm 28 years old, I was going to be married, you know? And then when 28 comes and you're like, "Mm." (laughs) like, yeah, where is he? Don't even have a man. So Uh not close (laughs) to having a boyfriend. So having to be more accepting of that, the road for your life may go very differently than everybody around you. And that that doesn't mean that you're late or that you're behind or left behind, that you may be exactly where you're supposed to be. So I'm trying to be more present, Jamie, trying to be more like, sis, you are in this life right here. Like, Mm. enjoy this space right here. And when you get over there, whenever over there is, you're going to enjoy that too. But don't plan so much for your future and have such high expectations that you're not even here in your present where, where there are a lot of things to enjoy. Oh, I'm feeling that right now with, I'm sending a kid to high school next year, which I can't even fathom oh, oh that idea. Um, but I'm remembering those young years. Like you said, some of your friends are in those baby years. And I was like, when are these kids going to grow up? And now I'm looking at my son going, oh my gosh, slow down. I only have four years, like slow down. And so it's funny how we look ahead and we think, I can't wait to get there. And then once you get there, you have to be cautious to be in the moment, you know, to take it all in. Yeah. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. 
Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Okay, guys, I'm going to stop real quick this conversation with Amina. And I want to thank people who are sponsoring the show. They make the happy hour possible. So first, I want to thank Wink. It's W-I-N-C. Wink makes it easy to discover great wine by shipping wines that are personalized for you right to your door. Here's why we need that. Because listen, if I give you the task to go pick out a wine that you love, but it has to be one that you haven't had before, where do you even go for that, you guys? That is where Wink comes in. You're going to answer a few simple questions in Wink's palate profile quiz, like how do you take your coffee in? How do you feel about blueberries? Then Wink is going to send you wines curated to your taste straight to your door, all starting at just $13 a bottle. The more wines that you rate, the more personalized your monthly selections become. Each month, there are new delicious wines like the insanely popular Summer Water Rosé. No membership fees. Skip any month and cancel at any time. Also, shipping is covered, and if you don't like a bottle, they're going to replace it with one that you will love. Guys, discover great wine today. Go to trywink.com slash happy hour, and you're going to get $20 off your first shipment. That's trywink.com slash happy hour for $20 off. Trywink.com slash happy hour. Guys, I also want to thank SAS Footwear. Guys, have you ever been frustrated with the shoes in your closet that make your feet hurt all day? You guys, it's summer, which means we're going to be on our feet a lot more. We're going to be running around with the kids on vacation. We need shoes that not only look good, but they help our feet not hurt all day. At SAS Footwear, they understand how difficult it is to find stylish shoes that are also comfortable. That's why for over 40 years, they've been making, fitting, and selling footwear that won't let your feet in the day before you are ready. Plus, if you've ever had trouble fitting into that cute pair, SAS has fashionable designs and a range of sizes and widths to fit any foot. Right now, you can go online to sasfootwear.com. That's www.sasfootwear.com and enter the code HAPPYHOUR at checkout for free shipping on your first order. Or check out their helpful store locator and pop into any of the hundreds of SAS locations around the country, which I saw one the other day when I was driving through Austin. Tell them that the happy hour with Jamie Ivy sent you and they're going to give you $10 off your first purchase. Follow at SAS Shoemakers on Instagram to see the newest styles from SAS where style feels good. Okay, guys, thank you. Wink and SAS Footwear. Now back to the rest of my conversation with Amina. Okay, Amina, you love a stage. I do love a stage. <laughs> now, listen, I love that. And and I love that about you. And it took me a while. I love being on a stage too. I definitely don't do, do what you do. Um, but I love it as well. And I used to think, why do I love it? Is there something wrong with me? Have you ever struggled with 
why do I love this so much? Is it about me or is it about God? Have you ever walked through that or is it just me? No, I, I definitely used to have those thoughts. And I think in some of my like growing up in church context, even the idea of performance was not celebrated. Uh, sort of people would, I remember growing up going to different events, people would always say, if an artist went on stage, it was always like they're doing ministry, not performing. Like there was this downing of things that could have entertainment value <laughs> on a yes. stage. And I had to really, as an artist, grow out of thinking that. I had to think more that being a person who does stage work is a craft the same way that a doctor who becomes a surgeon, that that's a craft. And so we don't look at the surgeon and say, oh, that's, that's, that's not, that's not surgery. That's, that's ministry. Well, it is Mm. ministry and it is surgery, right? (laughs) And so I had to learn like people who are doing stage work, whether that's you're engaging people in sort of a host interviewer way, you're speaking, you are performing art in any way that performance doesn't have to be a bad word, that the stage does not have to be a place where our ego is just, you know, there on display for everyone. The stage can still be a place where you serve. It can still be a place of ministry, but performance and stage work, it is a craft. It is something that I can learn and continue to learn to do well. Okay. So you do spoken word poetry. I want to know the process for that because this is not my skill set. And so I don't know, what does the process look like for you from the beginning all the way to the end? Okay. The process starts with a lot of very strange, random lines that come to me in various places. (laughs) Okay. And then, okay. So you literally are like in the grocery store and you hear something in your head and that's how it starts. Yeah. I just go to my notes app and like, put a line or two or put an idea or put a question or something like that. And then over time, over, over a few months, those will accumulate. And I keep all of my, all, I keep everything, everything I've ever written outside of, I think maybe two journals in my life that I've just lost and couldn't find them ever again. But since I was 12 years old, I have all of my writing, everything journal. Like, like if there was a fire, is that what you're grabbing this box? Yeah. Everything. And a lot of it, you know, thankfully we got into, you know, typing things on the computer and all that after word processors <clears throat> for those of us. That remember that. So, you know, now yes. it's like you have like some things in the cloud and stuff like that, but I keep everything. Uh-huh. So I keep all my unfinished poems too. So these could be poems. Maybe I started them 10 years ago or 15 years ago, but I really liked the idea. I just never finished it. And so I keep like a stack of those and I add the new random lines put them kind of all on a page themselves. None of, none of this is green, by the way, but put, um, <laughs> put all these on a page and go through that stack when I'm going through a season of writing. And I'll just go to the first page, see if any lines come to me, go to the next one, see if any lines come to me. And that's really how the poems get finished, which is kind of weird because you don't get to control which ones get finished all the time. Sometimes I have one that I think is a really great idea and it won't get finished. And sometimes I'll have a line I wrote seven years ago and I'll sit down that day and that whole poem will get done, you know, in a day or two. So then once yeah. the poems get to where I think they're getting close to being a spoken word piece, then I'll take some different writing sessions that just focus on the ones that are close to finished. And then when I finish one, I have to take it out to stage. Speaking of stage, I have to take it out to stage, which is typically an open mic here in Atlanta and try it out on stage, just reading it to see if it's strong enough to be um, okay. like a stage piece. 
Right. And sometimes I discover it's not, <laughs> which is fine. It might just be better to be read, uh-huh. but I shouldn't memorize it and try to make it, you know, a part of a show. So then I'll read it in public a couple of times and then I'll start trying to memorize. And when I memorize, I write longhand three times and try to get the words in my head. And then I do 20 minute rotations practicing the piece until I get it memorized. So I do 20 minutes on, 20 minutes off where I like memorize for 20 minutes, take 20 minutes to do something else completely. And then I take it back out to the open mic and fumble it and mess it up (laughs) for a couple of times. This is so scary. (laughs) These open mics are scaring me. Because I can't remember. But if I keep trying, I get to like that third, fourth, fifth time saying it from memory. And then I get to the point where I'm not in my head about remembering the words anymore. I'm really present in the poem Mm -hmm. and present with the audience. But it is, it can be scary. I guess, I don't know if I would say for me it's scary. It's more like nerve wracking to know you're going to go out in front of people and mess up, even though you've been, I've been performing spoken word poetry for 21 years now. Like to think after 21 years, you still are going to put yourself in front of a crowd and mess up. That is nerve wracking, but it's how the process works. (laughs) Okay. Nerve wracking and encouraging because here are my struggles in life. Number one is approval. I I also like control. I also have achiever in me. Mm -hmm. So all of the things you said put me so out of my comfort zone that I'm sweating for you. Like the thought of bringing something that's not perfected to a stage that I think what I'm hearing you say is that takes a lot of discipline to trust the process. Yes. Yeah. And it humbles you very fast because you remember that you're a professional, that you've been doing this a long (laughs) time. You know what you're doing. But you have to let, you're at an open mic. You only get one poem at most open mics. So you're going to let yourself fumble this and mess it up in front of a crowd that that might be the only time they see you. They might not have another opportunity to be like, oh no, she, that one, she messed up. She knows what she's doing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Which even goes to show, I mean, the professionalism that you bring to the table because you're going in front of an open mic knowing it's not going to be perfected, but you're still going to be great. It's not, it might not be the best that that point will ever be, but it's still going to be great. Yeah. You definitely don't feel that way when you leave. You don't know. You, you just feel like that was terrible. And someone out there thinks I'm whack and there's nothing I can do <laughs> to change the fact that they think I'm whack. That's hard. <laughs> that, that's where I'm saying it takes a lot of discipline because some people wouldn't be willing to go through that to get to the other side. But you have to be willing to go to, through that process to know that eventually that point, maybe most of them might get to the other side of quote unquote perfection. Um, and that is stressful. Yeah. And I think it's helpful for me to be in community with other poets, why I try to stay connected to my local poetry scene, because uh-huh. the other poets on our scene, like I watch them week after week coming up with new poems all the time, like standing outside of the open mic, running their piece to remember it. And I'm still performing some poem I wrote five years ago. They challenge me to make sure Mm. I don't just stay stuck in my old material, but that I'm still writing new material and putting myself back through the process, you know? Oh, I love it. How do I find a place to go watch an open mic? One place you can start that's pretty easy is looking for any venues that do slam poetry, particularly if you're in, you know, a major city in America, nine times out of 10, there is slam going on in your area. And normally slam venues, obviously they have slam competitions, which is the competitive side of spoken words. So 
all slam poetry is spoken word, but not all spoken word poetry is slam poetry. Okay. So if you sort of use slam as your, your gateway to get, to get into it, you will then find from there other open mic settings. And most slam venues have open mics that are not slams and they have certain times of the month or, or week or year that they do slam competitions. So that's a great way to start to go and just like watch a slam competition first, see what okay. the poets are doing. Even, even when poets ask me, you know, Amina, I want to do spoken word. Like what, where should I start? I always tell them, start with your local poetry scene. Like I know that we have YouTube and there are all these videos of amazing poets you can watch and do that but go and sit in person mm. in your local scene where the people there can know you and you can know them and you can find out if your poems are dope or if your poems are whack. Like that's mm. going to be the best place for you to know if those poems are actually doing what you hope they do on stage. Okay. I'm going to ask you a dumb question. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. But you, you, you know me and you trust me here. Um, yes. I have, I have a question. I have only, well, let me rephrase it this way. Spoken word poetry seems to be culturally more the black community. Is that a dumb assumption? I don't think so. You don't think it's a dumb assumption or you don't think that that's a true statement? Oh, I don't think, I don't think it's a dumb assumption. Okay. So speak to me about that. Is that true or is that false? It's actually, it's kind of like my mind is saying, I think in part it is true mm-hmm. in the sense of that the, a lot of the rhythms inherent mm-hmm. in spoken word mm-hmm. to me do trace all the way back to African culture, Right. do trace back to the role of the, the storyteller, sort of that person in, uh-huh. in the village that would be the storyteller, even back to ancient African civilization. So I, I think that oral tradition mm-hmm. uh, is definitely, it's definitely from Africa and mm-hmm. from an African history so I do think that is a part of how spoken word it presents itself because it is that it is also uh, the poets who were uh, doing poetry in the 60s, sort of the revolutionary poets of Mary Baraka and Sonia Sanchez and Nikki Giovanni and many of those poets and our Harlem Renaissance poets with Langston Hughes and Claude McKay. And, you know, so I think spoken word and black culture is definitely coming from a long line of roots. Mm-hmm. Even up to now, a lot of poets in my generation are definitely um, hip hop inspired, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and jazz inspired as well. So I do think spoken word has these great roots in Black culture and Black tradition. I obviously know many spoken word poets that are not Black, that are not African-American either. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in the way, in the same way that hip hop was started by black people is, mm-hmm. is a birth from black culture, uh, that has turned into this global phenomenon, you know? I love it. And I wasn't asking that in a mean way by any means, you know, that, you know, me, and I think my listeners know me as well. I'm thinking like, what a great way for me even to introduce, cause you know, I have three black children. Mm-hmm. I'm like, man, what a great way for me to bring something else to the table at our home that would be more prominent from people who look the same as them. That's what I'm getting at here. And so I love that. I, I'm encouraged by this conversation a lot. So thanks for educating us. Yeah, absolutely. I I just went into a class. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I want to talk to you about one more thing. Rwanda. Yes. You have led teams to Rwanda. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me what that experience has been like for you. Whew. Oh my gosh. How much time do we have, Jamie? (laughs) I mean, it's been, 
amazing. It's been, it's been really life-changing for me. I went on my first trip in 2016, uh, with if gathering actually. Mm -hmm. And, uh, was, I was invited to be, there's like part of the if gathering team, I think that was going to go on that trip. So I was invited to sort of be a part of that. But then the rest of the women were just women who'd signed up from attending if, and on that trip, I was the only black woman on the trip. And this was my second time to Africa. And I'm always very guarded about the trips I take to Africa, about what I do when I get there, about who I go with, about what their intentions are, Mm -hmm. because I want to make sure it's going to be a trip where African people are going to be seen with their true dignity, where it's not going to be centered around some, you know, white savior complex Mm -hmm. or any of that, you know, so that's why I've limited these trips to, I had been to Botswana once with Dr. Una Mulali and African New Life, you know, I researched Mm -hmm. and talked to them and I was like, I feel good about this. I'll go to that. And I think one of the things of many things that just I'm enriched about being in the country of Rwanda and about partnering with African New Life as a ministry is that African New Life was started by a Rwandan man, Mm -hmm. that it is not a Western led organization. It was not initiated by anyone from the West, that it was truly Pastor Charles, the founder returning to his home country and saying, my people need things and I'm going to help my people have education, have food, have these things. So when you go there, it immediately gives you an opportunity to decenter your Americanness and your American narrative. You are there to be led by Rwandans. You are not there to tell them what they can do better, what you think they can do that's more like America. You're there to learn from them. You're there to be submissive to their leadership. And that I love so much. Which is beautiful because just a little side note here, if anyone's going, you know, to any other country, I would say do exactly what Amina did and research who you're going with and what their model of ministry is and how they handle things. I mean, I have seen, you know, Westerners come into a country and just try to put all their ideas on an organization that would never thrive or survive in this country that they're putting their ideas towards. And so what you just said is just great advice for anyone who's looking to go out of the country to work with the ministry in another country. Look and see who are their leaders there. You know, are you coming in to paint walls? Because there are plenty of people there that can paint walls. Uh, We don't need any of that, right? Absolutely. And I would be in consideration of who you've invited to be on these trips. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to see, I don't, I hope, we're, we're going to see less and less until we see no more predominantly white teams going to places where brown people live to help those people. Mm. Like look around yeah. and think about why aren't there other people of color on the team that's going with you? Um, think about how you can connect with organizations that are founded and led by people of color, by people in that country, founded and led. Like think through those things and also think about, you know, particularly um, if you are white, think about, are you holistically doing that ministry? Are you going to another country where brown people are to help those people there, but not having that same concern for the brown people who are in your neighborhood and who are in your church, in your city, there where you live? I think it's important to be holistic about that so that you can check your own heart and your own motives and make sure that you are truly doing work that's needed, uh, doing things that are helpful. And if you find that you are doing something that isn't helpful, stop. 
Well, and folks, we're going to end right there on that note because that was so good. Yes, it is. I love how you, I've never heard it worded that way. I mean, of like, look around and are you doing the same thing for the people that are around you that look like the people that you're going to serve? That is so true. Yeah, and partner, not to just to give, to help partner with other leaders of color. That's important. Love it. Girl, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, so let me just tell people about you real quick. You've got the book. People need to go check it out. Um, I've read um, most of parts of it. And in fact, as I was reading parts of it last night, preparing for this, um, the only thing I've been singing today is Janet Jackson's song, Control. Okay, so yes. girl, you got it in my head and it cannot leave. <laughs> so there's that. Um, also, you have a podcast. Yes. Do you I'm love so excited. or is it like another thing on your plate? I actually really, really love okay, podcasting. I, I love interviewing people. I did a podcast for How to Fix a Broken Record. It was only 10 episodes. So that's still out there if people want to engage with that, interviewing people on the themes of my book. But my new podcast, Her with Amina Brown, is all interviews of women. And the first season is going on right now. And uh, this season's theme is body. So I'm interviewing all these brilliant women on various aspects of body. And I love it, Jamie. I know you understand because you love it too. I love it too. So we'll link to everything that Amina has going on in the show notes. Um, so you all can be a part of that. And people are listening to this podcast, so they already like podcasts. So go over and find Amina's, uh, both of them and listen to them. Uh, okay, Amina, what three things are you loving these days? Oh dear, uh, Beyonce. Oh, <laughs> I, I'm loving Beyonce. Um, I also love Real Housewives of Atlanta. And um, just, I love that so much that you said that. Yeah, that's really great. That's a favorite of mine. And I'm going to go ahead and say I'm, I'm out here loving Cardi B. I'm just I'm a, I'm a Cardi B fan. She made a fan out of me and that surprised me. But I, I'm also loving Cardi B. OK, I'm going to be completely in it here. I don't even know who that is. Ooh, Jane, we have so much to discuss. I have so many links to send you. But Cardi B is a rapper. Uh-huh. She is Afro-Latina mm-hmm. and she just uh, released an album recently. She, her, her, one of her big songs is Bodak Yellow, but, um, the content may not be for everyone. Okay. <laughs> Got your it. Listeners may be like, self. Um, mm, I don't know, <laughs> but I love her and I'm just in support of everything that she's doing. Okay, I'm going to look her up. I'm going to look her up. <laughs> okay. Tell me this. Are you a reader? And if you are, what are you reading these days? Oh my gosh. Uh, I am a reader. I just finished uh, The Turner House. Why can't I think of it? It's a fiction book. My mind cannot think of the author's name right now. Oh, and I'm in the middle of reading Sue Monk Kidd's book, When the Heart Waits, which if you hate patience will upset you in all of the ways. Uh, But it's such a good spiritual memoir and has been so good. Angela Flournoy. I think is how you yes. say her name, wrote the Turner House. There's a fiction book I just finished. And Sue Monk Kid's book, I Love to Hate When the Heart Waits, is great. Mm. Okay, well, I'm going to look at both of those because it's summer and I have more time to read in the summer, which is the best. Um, okay, Amina, I want to tell you thank you. Thank you for your words. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for being vulnerable in your life, in your book, in your podcast. Um, Thank you for your wonderful thoughts today on serving people around the world. They are valid. They are uncomfortable for some people to face and see that maybe there are some things in their heart that need to be checked. But let me tell you, I have been there. I've done that. I've had people speak into me like that and it might hurt along the change, but it's worth it in the end. Yeah. So thank you for your words today. Thanks for having me, Jamie. I love the happy hour. Guys, don't forget today's show is brought to you by SAS Footwear. 
Making the decision between wearing stylish shoes or comfortable shoes shouldn't feel impossible. SAS Footwear makes that decision easy with shoes and sandals to keep you on your feet all day in style. Go to sasfootwear.com. That's www.sasfootwear.com and enter code happy hour for free shipping on your first order at SAS where style feels good. All right, guys, wasn't that fun with Amina? Seriously, go check out her books. Find her on YouTube. Oh, and who's about to Google where to watch slam poetry in your area as soon as you're done listening? This girl. Also, no biggie, just lots of conviction about where we go, what we do, and how we partner with organizations around the world. I was so thankful for her speaking into that. Also, you guys, be sure and find her podcast and check it out if you haven't heard it already. And go buy her book. That's the first thing to do. Today's show was edited by Chris with Podshaper, and the music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Next week, my guest is Michelle McKinley, and I met her this year. And let me tell you, when she came on stage, she came out dancing, and I knew I need to have her on the happy hour. You guys, enjoy your week. Share the show with a girlfriend and have a happy hour with a friend. I'll see you all back here next week with Michelle. Michelle.